tune and welcome to the Freedom to Buy podcast, presented by Supernet. I'm Joe Dworsky, the president of retail banking for Supernet, uh, which is the only payment network that enables true credit card solutions for the cannabis industry for both merchants and consumers. Each week, our podcast will take you behind the scenes of banking, finance, payments, and technology to help educate both businesses and listeners like yourself on how to make the most of your purchasing power in the world of credit. My next guest is a 20-year veteran in developing and managing banking technology software for financial institutions. His company helps these FIs set up and implement technology solutions to make sure FIs are compliant and can manage these new and existing higher risk businesses such as cannabis, banking as a service, crypto, online gaming, MSB, which are money service businesses, privately owned ATMs, casino and card clubs, in addition to many more. Please welcome to today's show, Justin Fisher, CEO and founder of Risk Scout. Justin, thanks for joining us today. Hey, Joe. It's good to catch up again. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk. For our listeners, can you give a more 30,000-foot in-depth, if you will, overview of how you started Risk Scout and what was the catalyst? I'd like to start with the fact that I'm a native Texan. I'm based in Austin, Texas. I grew my relationship with technology, you know, kind of in my high school years. And then you know, was started off in college thinking I was going to be an attorney, ended up being, you know, getting going through computer science at University of Texas. And within a couple of years of getting out and doing software development, I really ran into a group that was, was really bent, you know, focused on community banks and credit unions. And that group is the, is the founders of a company called Q2 that I think a lot of banks and credit unions know out there. We actually have a stadium here. You know, we've sponsored a stadium here. But really, uh, most of the population, including Austin these days, still doesn't really understand what Q2 does because it's a behind-the-scenes technology provider, right? And so I spent my career helping institutions essentially digitize or use technology to provide banking services to their consumers and their businesses, You know, anything from CRM, digital banking, payments. And then in the most recent years, what's really come about is that institutions, which you know we've got still almost 8,500, 9,000 banks and credit unions in the country. Um, 98% of them are below, you know, two, $3 billion in assets. So a lot of community financial institutions and they're looking for new markets. I mean, you know, we don't really like talk about the pandemic anymore, but you know, the pandemic created a different kind of interesting wave where all of a sudden a lot of deposits came in. Right. And these were pretty much free deposits because they were coming from stimulus money. Right. And then a lot of fraud came along with that. And just in general, the the trends that are coming are about in fraud and uh, regulatory space have have become more sophisticated. And so institutions are having to, you know, not just with cybersecurity, but with fraud and anti-money laundering or money laundering trends, they're having to get more sophisticated. But unfortunately, a lot of institutions are just like small mom and pop businesses or, you know, I kind of sometimes give it to like my mom or dad. You know, is your mom or dad going incredibly sophisticated? And that's a big generalization. There are very progressive institutions in the community space, but a lot of times they're in a small town and, and they're doing the best they can. And, you know, they need technology providers to uh, and, and, and knowledgeable people break that barrier. I, I was talking to a big institution in San Antonio recently, and 
I kind of like, if you ever watch a movie old school, I kind of roll my eyes sometimes mm-hmm. go back into my, my depths of my, my brain and, and just spit out all this stuff. And then I forget I'm even talking, <laughs> but, um, you know, and that's how you debate. Right? That's how you debate. Right. But I, I, I do this and I did this for about 15 minutes after listening to this institution story. And he stops me and he goes, I've been talking with our CTO and our CIO for the past year and you've dumped more knowledge than we've had in the past in, in, that, in that amount of time. And I said, that's not a, and that's not a conceited thing. That, that's a, they don't get out. They don't work with the technology vendors. They don't necessarily get to a lot of these conferences to get this information. Mm-hmm. And so it's tough. It's tough to innovate when you're, when you're a bit isolated. Right. And right. all you've really known is, Hey, we open up a new branch on the West side, the East side, you know, the, you know, <laughs> cross town and that's how we grow. And so it's incredibly generalized, of course, but right. you know, we founded Risk Out to get to your original question around the concept that w- we can do something and in, in fix things that are in the back office that lead to an institution and a main street business or consumer being able to, to bank effectively because these barriers are there. And, and I just want to pause for a second, Joe, the, the easiest way for anyone to understand this part of the process without having to be an expert in compliance or, or BSA. Mm-hmm is imagine you're walking into the airport and I always think about the Austin airport. Right. This uh, is your TSA analogy that we discussed. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, th- I think yeah. you must have, I think you must have a copy of all my, my Q questions today. <laughs> because- oh yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm jumping ahead there. But yeah. You, yeah, know, you so- walk in, you walk in and it's like Friday before spring break or the summer. Right. And everybody's trying to travel and all you want to do is get on your plane. All the airport wants to do is get you on your plane, right? But mm-hmm. you've got to go through TSA. And, and we can debate about how effective TSA is or, you know, like the, all the different details about it. But the reality is someone needs to check these things and make sure everybody's safe, right? Right. And that's very much what a compliance and BSA team does at an institution. They're checking for things, even at the teller line, that look like elder abuse, right? That look like human trafficking, that look like uh, drug trafficking. But would you say that, this is the value proposition. What is the value proposition that Risk Out is bringing to the FIs that you can, you know, expand? I mean, I know you talk, you gave a nice generalization, and we're talking about the TSA analogy. But what is that value proposition that you are bringing to these FIs? Why they need Risk Out? The value proposition is that institutions can't just open a branch, fill the dreams, and hope that high net customers just walk in and then now they have the deposits. To in order to lend the money out, which is how banks work generally, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Deposits to lending and and or payments, it just doesn't come up from the ground. And so, what Risk Out does is we we open up the turnstiles more like a clear or pre-check, where it's easy for an institution to start a program, whether they go after cannabis or online banking, MSBs, even just convenience stores, which are harder to manage than a typical business because they have lots of cash. Like mm-hmm. open up the ability for that to be automated so that those passengers, if you will, right, those businesses can get streamlined instead of right now, I would tell you, if you take something like what you said, money service business and MSB, you know, you take one today that that could be a check casher. That could be a liquor store that, you know, that, that does money movement. It could be anybody who moves, moves money for third parties. If you take them today, there's a chance that if you have about 30 of those in your institution, you need one full person to manage it without tools. And okay, so you you have a software that basically is going to streamline the process for FIs to get into these higher risk markets, new markets, as well as existing with streamlining the process where they're not going to have to you know hire ten people for each new market. Is that a fair? That's correct. That's correct. And then something like the cannabis world, Joe, like 
that world is is very difficult for a lot of institutions to understand. Well, what are the rules and regulations, and how do I, you know, how do I not throw the baby out with the bathwater? Right. Of course, we don't mm-hmm. want to bank the cartel, but that's a far reach from the dis- the guy who just started a dispensary because he's been a farmer and that's how he's going to make money, right? Or uh, sorry, a cultivator, farmer, and then a dispensary. Those are all typically community businesses um, that that really are pretty far away from money laundering, but we do have to monitor them. And so that's, yeah, so that's the answer to this is that we open up those markets, institutions can bank them, and then the all-inclusive in, check that they're going to do in terms of the checkbox here is did the examiner that examines their bank feel like the institution covered their risk, right? Were they doing the right things to prevent money laundering and illegal activity at the institution while they grew so big? So that's the big test, right? Okay, so this is, you know, a software solution that, you know, is implemented uh, with the bank, I, I guess you, your software sits between the bank and the customer, whether that's, you know, money service business, crypto, cannabis, online gaming, whatever the case may be. And you're basically making it easier for the FI to onboard and monitor these clients from a regulatory uh, as well as a BSA perspective. That is correct. We we first and foremost have onboarding apps and maybe you just want to bank Texas hemp. Maybe you want to bank New York cannabis. Maybe you want to bank Florida or Oklahoma. Those are wildly different markets, different sets of questions, different sets of licenses, lots of different things. But first and foremost, maybe you don't want to, maybe you only want to do the farmers and not the dispensaries. Our mm-hmm. system allows you to create those pathways and those filters and then bring them on, do all the original checks that you need to do, and then get them on in a way where you can do them in a matter of a few hours instead of most institutions do them in about three to eight weeks. Interesting. Can you talk about and expand a little bit on some of these traditional higher risk markets that are underserved and why the FIs, you know, well, it sounds like the FIs, I, we know the answer why they're shying away, but maybe you can expand on, you know, some of these higher risk markets. Yeah, let's take a big one. This is one of my favorite ones because during the pandemic, they played a super important role to our economy, but they get they get kind of looked down on by even some of the banks, and that is private ATMs or otherwise known as independent ATMs is what they prefer. So this is when you're walking down the street and you see an ATM. Maybe it's in a bodega or a a gas station, or maybe it's next to a bar and doesn't have a bank logo. Someone owns that ATM, right? (laughs) And when I say someone, it's usually not a multinational corporation. It's usually, you know, someone like you or me, or, or it could be a retired veteran or retirees. It could be anybody who has maybe 30 of these ATMs. But they have traditionally been higher risk because they deal with cash. And because a lot of times, you know, cash can be used to conceal legal activities a lot easier, right? These ATMs played a really important role when people got their stimulus money, when they got their checks, when they needed their cash out. Because a lot of these ATMs are in urban and rural places where bank logoed ATMs are not at, you know, and people mm-hmm. were during the pandemic were trying not to go into places. Well, places were just closed. That was the bottom line. So these ATMs functioned as a way for people to get their money. Now, 60% of the ATMs in this country are actually independent, non-banked owned. And they're changing. You know, 30% of the new hardware that I'm seeing on ATMs now has cryptocurrency features. And if That's you say good. the word cryptocurrency to any Average community financial institution, with very few exceptions, you get them running to the hills. <laughs> nope, that's a scam. It's got, you know, there's all kinds of issues with it. Look at FTX, right? There's all this like pent up concern. 
so though, yeah. So those are some of the issues, you, you know, you have a gas station, Joe, probably around the corner from your house. You know, mm-hmm. if you haven't gone in lately, go in and look around in Texas, you'll find, you know, kind of questionable CBD slash cannabis THC nine vapes on the counter. <laughs> you'll find an ATM, a private ATM. You'll find a Bitcoin, uh, you know, sort of crypto terminal that you have no idea what network or who's running that. Right. And then likely you'll also see in some parts of Texas, an actual eight line slot machine, a real slot machine, even though we have an outlawed gambling, you know, that's not legal. So I think you go to any gas station, you know, or convenience store, and you'll essentially find a number of these businesses, probably also check cashing and, you know, international money movement. So that's, that's there. These are staples of our environment, our communities. You know, again, we can argue about whether you, you need a check cashier, or whether you need, you know, some of these businesses, but they, they really are present and around. And most institutions don't bank them because of the the risk involved and because of the manual overhead. Okay. That's great. That's great. And on the flip side, you know, those are some of the, you know, existing higher risk markets. Can you talk about some of the newer markets that risk out helps banks, you know, get into? I imagine cannabis would be one of those new emerging markets in cryptos, but can you talk about some of the, those markets and, you know, the challenges that both risk out is encountering you know, with bringing these banks, you know, on board and what are the challenges for the banks to get involved, you know, in, in these new high risk markets? Yeah. F- funny, funny. I'll tell you a story to open this up because it's exciting to me being a Texan and my parents really. Um, we just found out recently that Willie Nelson's brand actually uses our system with their bank. Now really? I wish, <laughs> I wish I could say Willie Nelson was a user, but I doubt he's, he's, <laughs> using risk out, but, um, but it's great. You know, I, this brand that we work with is a $40 million private equity backed cannabis multi-state operator called MSO. They uh, have banked with all kinds of institutions and they selected a $300 million bank, one that you and I are friends with actually. They love risk out. And, and you know, the craziest thing, Joe, is that they just reached out to me on LinkedIn and told me how much they love risk out because it <laughs> saves them from having to go into the branch. Like if the bank says, Hey, I need a picture of your security system, right? Or I need this document, you know, to put into your file. They can do it directly over the phone. Just just like probably 15 years ago, if you had a suspect transaction on your credit card, you're a big payments guy, right? You have a suspect mm-hmm. transaction on your payment, on your card, you would probably wait till your statement came out, right? Before you'd find it. And, and then of course, Capital One was probably one of the first on the consumer card brands to say, hey, what if I text you? Hey, Joe, did you mean to spend this money across town or in another state? And, and, it, and it's now evolved to where you can get instant fraud and communication. The banking systems that are out there today, which were built 15, 20 years ago, they don't do that, right? So when you get into something like cannabis, which is an incredibly interesting market, right? From, from both ends, and we'll talk about that, but it's it you have to have these tools to where you can communicate. So one first fun thing is we get to work with some of these really big brands. Um, and then we get to work with some of these smaller dispensaries, like in the state of Oklahoma, where we have a, a couple of institutions that are growing quite a bit. There, these are people who had lots of cash in a gun safe because they didn't trust the bank. They didn't trust that their bank would be around or continue. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. I also want to pause here and say bank trust has been an issue this year, right? Uh, SVB, mm-hmm. FRB. You know, one thing that's not an issue for our institutions is that 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 exodus of cash. Because even if these businesses got cold feet about their banks, you know, and kind of had to run the way that SVB happened, they can't move their money to Chase or to some of these other institutions anyways. 
And so, and you know, the banks didn't look at it as holding them hostage. They looked at it as, look, we're happy to be able to serve you because even the money center banks that are taking in these new deposits, besides them being busy, they're not going to serve you, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, Cannabis has been a problem. Right. Well, let me ask you, you know, you're talking about, you know, these MSOs, the one that, uh, you know, has that Willie Nelson's brand. Explain to, you know, our listeners, you know, we're talking about Risk Out, the software solution that, you know, is the bridge between the FI, you know, and the merchant or the MSO. Uh, how does that work at the dispensary level? Okay. You know, the portal, you said they can upload documents as needed. Can you talk a little bit about, I mean, I know we're not doing a demo, we're not showing screenshots, but maybe you can break it down for our listeners what the uh, the customer, the merchant on their end, it will be seeing and utilizing that will be sent over to the FI. Yeah. So when you, when you open a bank account as a business, right, you're required to bring all of your formation paperwork, whoever the owners are, and you've, you're still asked a lot of questions, right? But when you come in with a business that is considered a higher risk business, and the bank has a list of these, right? There's generally what's called like additional questionnaires. They're generally manual, like, oh, let me pull this form out of a file, Joe, because you're a um, MSB, right? Answer these questions for me. And then that's sent back to the, uh, think about it like an underwriting team, the BSA team will look it over and decide, oh no, yeah, that's fine. We'll do Joe's business, right? In cannabis, it's not only required to do a lot of that upfront, like, are you licensed? Are you properly reporting, you know, your cash? Are you preventing minors from buying product? Mm -hmm. You know, all these checkpoints, which you you probably know in the high risk merchant processing world is the same. Um, they have to do them, but they also have to maintain them. And one of the biggest things in the cannabis world that is just to be clear is not a regulation that is officially stated anywhere, but it is a assumed best practice that examiners want to see is that the bank is paying attention to the cash variance. So what I'm saying is if I know this business, this dispensary is doing $100,000 a month, then all of a sudden a deposit comes in for this next month, 150K total. That's a problem because that looks like money laundering. It actually is money laundering until proven innocent, meaning I need to understand where that 50K came from. And what we found in the state of Oklahoma and across the board, but as these these businesses, these dispensaries got more comfortable with their bank, they grabbed that cash that was sitting in the safe or the mattress or wherever it was, and they dumped it to the Brinks drop thinking it's fine, right? But the reality is the institution needs to track that cash and understand, and we call it legacy cash if it's you know older cash, um, but we need to understand where that came from. And so what will happen is, is we will, in our system, we will see that, that discrepancy, we'll uh, notify the, the institution They'll submit, they'll start a case and a task and they'll do all this electronically, but they'll say, Hey, Joe, why did you have $50,000 more here? And you go, <laughs> Oh my God, I just dropped that extra stack in. I didn't realize that was an issue. Okay, Joe, that's fine. But you know what we need you to do? We need you to go pull the reports on where this cash came from and give that to us. And it's the bank's job to do investigations like that. Right. And then if they suspect that you don't have good answers for these things, it's their job to report that to the authorities. So when I say authorities, it's not so much law enforcement directly. It goes out to the FSI the SAR reports. SAR reports. Yes, yeah. exactly. So, but do the merchants on their end, do they input, you know, so if, you know, you or I go into a dispensary to purchase, you know, every customer that goes in, is there a front end at the merchant level where they're inputting every transaction and, you know, and so forth where it's monitored? 
and then it's it's recorded for you know in a record for when the auditors are auditing the financial institution is that how it works that's a good question so when you walk into most dispensaries um in most states they require identification right and they require some tracking so that you can prove that you sold to someone who's eligible in some states you have to be a state resident right other mm-hmm. states you can do it in a guest almost all states have some limit amount of products you can buy so it's necessary for me to track that Joe or Justin came into this dispensary and bought something, right? The transactions in that POS are helpful if the bank needs to do reconciliations, like they need to gather that and review it against their records. But technically, that's not required by the examiner for, for me as a bank to go dig into your till, into your POS system and question every transaction that's in there, right? What's mm-hmm. more required for me to do at a very high level, and there's like, intentionally not very good specifics here. It's just the way that regulators tend to work is to say, because they don't also want to narrow it down to where if you just ask Joe if everything's okay, then check the box. They want you to say as a human, do you believe that there's a legal activity happening? And if you do, did you clarify? Did you get evidence? Did you submit a report, right? That's what they're required to do. And as cannabis will continue to, as it either federally legalizes or the Safe Banking Act or other legislation routes right? Then the FFIC and FinCEN will define better guidance, which is the first step. That's like, mm-hmm. hey, you should do this. And then regs, which is like reg E, reg D, regs say you have to do this. Like there's a reg, Joe, right now, if you go open an account, say with an internet bank, for example, there's a reg that says that you didn't tell them that you didn't want paper statements, that they have to send them to you. And if they don't, they're in violation of that reg. Right. That's, that's clarity, is- right? <laughs> Um, there's no question about that. So with cannabis, there is a lot of question about that. So sometimes the issues we saw initially, and we still see them every now and then, is the institution feels like they have to be the DEA, <laughs> if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, they feel like they have to go way to the other side. And then I've seen a lot of early institutions that got in that got out because they're saying it's too expensive for them to maintain that. And I absolutely <laughs> understand why, because we preach the build a reasonable and achievable program. Those two things have to be intact. Not a, I'm going to track every transaction, every detail. I'm going to do site reviews every week, right? And I'm going to, and I'm going to do this. Okay, great. Well, now you have 50 customers. Are you doing it? Well, well, no, because there's no way. I don't have 50 people to do it. What is the savings? So, you know, obviously if it's expensive not to have it, obviously that would be a, a value proposition to the bank by utilizing risk out. You know, you don't have to, have 15 people with in separate different departments is there a, a a cost analysis a cost savings that you can present to these institutions that are looking to get into some of these higher risk you know businesses and are concerned because of the cost and exactly. the hiring the first, manpower the first step we do back to that whole isolation mentality is we first mm-hmm. come in and say hey let's look at your risk so it, it comes down to policies procedures and risk assessment let's look mm-hmm. at how you've framed how you're going to bank these and we find that they're usually pretty, uh, pretty gnarly, right? Pretty heavy. Mm-hmm. They're asking, and we'll say, "Hey, here's the average of what we see." Also, with banks like you who are reviewed by the OCC or the FDIC, here's what we're seeing from other institutions. In fact, don't take our word for it. Talk to some of them. We we like to build this community where you can talk to them directly, and they love to share it. So let's first do that. Do you have the right policy procedures? Do you have the right plan? Right? Then we automate it, and and then six months. After we've gone to our institutions and checked in with them. And sometimes, by the way, they were on other providers that were similar to us and they'd only grown like maybe 10 accounts in three or four months. And we see them grow a hundred accounts, right? 
and we see them um, not have to hire the people they thought they were going to hire. So we generally have seen in our studies, 75 to 80% overhead reduction from a manual operation. So it's, it's, it's interesting. Huge. Wow. That, yeah. that is huge. I mean, do most of the institutions that onboard, you know, uh, the program, do they enter multiple, you know, new markets or are they approaching you or you're approaching them for one specific market? That's a great question. I find that if they come to me about cannabis, I will ask them and I would say it's 98% true that they already have other high risk. Now, what happens with ATM and MSB, if you were to walk into any random bank or get them on an interview and say, hey, what do you think about ATMs and MSBs? We have a few. We don't like them. They're a pain in the butt. (laughs) And I get it. I totally get it. Because if I was doing it manually, I'd say exactly the same thing. But that's where we say, okay, well, you know, we can not only handle your your cannabis initiative and your fintech initiative where you want to go do banking as a service, we can also take over those MSBs and ATMs. And if you want to grow those too, we actually had a big bank in the Northeast who came in and he goes, Justin, I was easily able to get the cost of risk out covered because I just went back to my account reps, you know, and I said, hey, he's the he's the BSA head. And he's like, look, if I let let the, the constraints off and let you guys do MSBs and ATMs, how many could you go do? And they got really excited, right? <laughs> and so he was able to come back and say, well, I can do that because Risk Out will automate this for me. That's right? great. That That's absolutely a, that's a great story, actually. Can you talk a little bit about the first pass product and how that plays into program? So what's interesting about, so think about a typical business relationship you have with your bank, right? If you're just a construction business, they got your information right the first, let's say five years ago, 10 years ago, Joe runs a construction company, he and his wife or he and his brother run it. And they know what they know about you from then. I mean, probably even have a 15 year old driver's license, right? That's what they know, right? But what they're required to do is also do monitoring in things like OFAC, which will look for you know terrorist lists, sanctions lists. Uh, Russian sanctions were a big thing when the, the war started, right? Mm-hmm. And you probably saw a lot of news about that or was involved in that. And so all of these things they're required to monitor. And so what happens though, is there are, there are legacy products and I won't name them, but they're out there in the banks and they're really, really bad at giving you a complete picture. And they're, they're, they don't do cannabis licenses. They don't do hemp licenses. They don't do MSB. They, they're missing a lot of data the worst though is they'll go, oh yeah, you know, Joe, we find 50 of him, of, of him with the same match first and last name and, you know, good luck, figure out whatever it is. So there's a lot of false positives with it, right? This one vendor, especially the banks will tell me, yeah, I, I look like a criminal because I have three speeding tickets 10 years ago. They they just have really bad data and they have bad experience. And so, but the banks still run them. And so what we did is we said, you know, when you go to onboard a higher risk business, you, you don't want to wait till after you open the account to start running these checks, right? You want to know right up front. You want to know, do they actually really have a license? Do they, uh, where are they formed? Do they have actually a, a good standing formation? So an LLC, an incorporation, you know, do they have any negative news? Are they associated with the Russian oligarch, right? Like all these things. And so we built a product called FirstPass and it leverages the biggest data companies in the world. But the difference is, we prepackage it so the bank doesn't have to like mess with all the settings. We we package it into our pricing so they don't have to go set up an account, pay minimums with those vendors. And the biggest thing is we dialed in the false positives. Now, I'm going to be really clear. I'm always super honest and transparent. You will get false positives, but our rate is like 10% of what the others are out there. And so that really helps institutions. We, we have like, you ever, I love outdoors and camping. My dad used to take me camping and he would be, you know, leave it better than you found it right? 
Mm-hmm. And we have that philosophy with BSA officers. We're not here to stack and slap software in and charge you. And you're kind of begrudgingly having to use it and, and not super happy. We want to leave it better than when we started and, and improve it so that you're excited and happy to use not only the system, but you're growing what, the outcome, right? I see in your LinkedIn profile that you know, you're know you a mentor for tech stars. Mm-hmm. And anytime I see somebody who does mentoring, I think that's just great because it's so important. Can you talk a little bit about you know tech stars and, and your mentoring for them and you know for our listeners? Yeah, it's a huge part of like when I started, I was a 18 year old kid founding a company, technology. I didn't know what I didn't know. I was cocky, right? And I think we all have a story where someone took a, took us under their wing, right, and really helped steer us in the right direction. I've been doing this and wanting to give back for so long. And, and actually at Q2, I started a program where instead of going and hiring all the valedictorians, I wanted people with, with diverse backgrounds, right? Mm-hmm. Work at PetSmart. You, you know, we had a plumber who came in and it was super rewarding to find people who have us uh, stay-at-home moms was a huge thing and veterans. I hired about 20% of my hiring cohort, which was like 50 people a quarter, was uh was veterans, right? It's so important to find people who have such a strong motivation and the, the sort of raw materials and give them a chance, right? You know, whether you have to do that by necessity or you do it by desire, but it, it, it will pay off. And so with Techstars, they approached me and they're really, really great incubator group all over the, the world, actually. And I got to work with a lot of diverse companies, not all just in fintech and banking, but being able, and I still do this, being able to do one-on-ones and help steer people you know, I'd say a lot of it, some of it's about, you know, raising money and, you know, structure and, and things like that. A lot of it's just, how do I lead teams, right? How do I go through this incredibly daunting entrepreneurial track where people really, most people just aren't a fit from the very, very beginning when it's two people in a room all the way up to 500 employees, right? That's very rare. And so there's a lot of challenges along that way. And I really find it rewarding. And I also think it helps me get context again. Right. And understand why keeps do I you do grounded. This? Yeah. It keeps you grounded. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You're giving, you're giving back to those who, you know, helped you get, get to where you're at when you were a young uh, entrepreneur, if you will. And uh, it keeps things, you know, grounded to not, not forget because I'm, I've seen, and I'm sure you've seen, you know, many uh, entrepreneurs, CEOs, you know, who make it big. Uh, sometimes they forget where, where they came from or how they got there. And I think uh, not forgetting and making sure that, you know, you can always pay it forward is a very important thing to do. I know that you just uh, completed a seed round, which congratulations on that. Can you talk a little bit about that? I think that was uh, some big news for you guys. Uh, I know it was posted on on your LinkedIn page as well. Yeah, it's very exciting. Um, we not only completed a seed round, a fundraising round in probably one of the worst climates I've ever been in in the last 20 years. Just it's just a, you know, it's a seesaw, right? We've gone back to um the challenges in terms of the macro environment with the economy. And even if you're doing well like us and you've got great revenue and so forth, it's just it's just tough. Especially, especially I will tell you, kind of right before SVB happened, we had a great investor lined up. They just weren't really comfortable with banks and they were happy before. And then as soon as SBB happened, it pulls the rug out from under you, right? And so what I'm really happy to say is we actually were able to bring on three really strong bank networks. So it represents 500 banks and credit unions who are the LPs of these VCs. And they have been directly, the VCs have directly invested in us, but indirectly these institutions are aligned. So now 
what they do is they get us in front of them and we get to work with them all in an aligned state. You're a bank, you need the technology and you're an investor to participate, you know, and that is in conjunction with another couple of institutions and, and investors who were starting, started our, our uh, rounds, right. Including my investment as well in the company. So I'm excited because we couldn't be more aligned both in our philosophy, our culture, but also in our funding. There's no one driving us to profit at all costs or, you know, be some kind of mysterious unicorn, right? Um, mm-hmm. we, have, we have full alignment with our with our investors and in Launchpad, Alloy Labs, Bankers Helping Bankers. That's actually the name of the fund, Bankers Helping Bankers, right? And then ATX Ventures out of Austin, they're all aligned there. And so we're incredibly excited to, you know, put this capital to work and, and work with their, their networks. How can our listeners, you know, who are interested in learning more about Risk Scout or some businesses that might want to uh, engage with Risk Scout? How can they um, contact you or a colleague, or how can they reach out to, to Risk Scout if you can yeah, share the best, with our listeners? Best place to start is our website. We just launched a brand new website that, that's tailored to the different markets you might be looking at to our solution. Uh, it's riskout.com. We also have a great YouTube uh, channel that has a ton of content. We're super big about not selling you, but giving you content, the thought leadership. So come join that. I regularly do webinars. Our whole team does webinars. We have ex-OCC examiners, BSA officers, where we have four to 400 to 1,000 institutions essentially uh, joining. So come join. They're free. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. We have a private LinkedIn community. If you if you link in me, uh, message me on LinkedIn, I'll add you to that if you're a BSA officer. Um, but yeah, we would love to help. And if you're a cannabis business or any of the others, crypto MSB, also reach out to me. I can help you find great institutions who want your business. I would love to help you. Terrific. Well, I thank you for that. And hopefully um, our listeners, uh, many of them will reach out uh, to you. Well, everybody, I want to thank you uh, for taking the time to listen to today's podcast uh, with Justin from Riskout. As always, you can learn more about you know Supernet and our payment network by visiting our website at supernet.ai. You can listen to past episodes as well as this episode once it's uh, posted at Freedom to Buy uh, on Cannabis Radio, as well as Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Once again, thanks for joining us this afternoon. We look forward to uh, speaking with you next week and uh, have a good afternoon. Thank you. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited.